0: Good morning, everybody. Shabbat Tov. Thank you for coming. If one had <clears throat> a strong Shabbos, Shabbos Mevarchim. Can't believe it. Shabbos Mavachim. Other Aleph already. Okay. So the month of Shvat is the last year for the, in this year in the month of Shvat, sponsored by the Pollux, Leil Nishma, Shimon bin Moshe, Tzvi Ben Mordechai, and Shira Rachma Basr Alte Nata, and for the Zivak of Daniela, Chana Basar Libi. The week is sponsored by Ira Brown and his family, commemorating the ninth yurtzeit of Ira's Abba, Anshul Hirsch ben Eliezer, and on the continued growth of our family in Kal Yisrael, with the addition of Yishai Eliezer ben Avraham Akayin, who should grow up and mature in Torah, Amos and Mayasim nice Toivim. All right, everyone, if you have the pages in front of you and you have the Sefer, open up, please, to Daf Kuf Chaf Vav. Kuf Chaf Vav, and there's pages over there for anyone that needs pages. I printed them out for everybody. What we're, what's going to be great today is that I love how this happens when, while we're learning what we're learning, which definitely was not written necessarily during this week, but we're actually going to be connecting Parashat Yitro and Mishpatim with today's learning, which is always special when these kinds of things thing happen. And we're continuing to, with, with Rav Sasson's help, to understand the question of identity of our generation. Now, this is the hardest one, and we spoke about this last week and week before, that probably one of the hardest things for us to do is to be able to understand what, what is the identity crisis and what are people really asking for when they're speaking about in terminology of, I want freedom, I want to feel free, I want the liberty to think like I want to think, and I want it to all be in a holy context, I want it to be in a good context, in a pleasing context, but what are people, what are people really asking Aside from those that are just burnt out from certain ways they grew up in, what, is, what are they really asking for? What are people really asking and demanding? And it's, by other nations, it's not that complicated. By us, this question is so, so complicated. It's such a complicated thing. And this is what we've been stuck in, not just here in the shiur, but bichlal in the land, and in, across the board, in Am Yisrael. There's such a... You can't... See, it used to be you could say, this person's, you know, he's just not... He doesn't care about Yiddishkeit. He's not into Yiddishkeit. But those same people that you would have said, they're just not into Yiddishkeit, they are so proud to be part of Am Yisrael. Even though on the surface it doesn't look like it, but then when push comes to shoves and buttons are pressed, like the time that we're in right now, you see this outpouring of pride, of neck whether it's necklaces or... Whether it's walking around with, a mug, you know, a, a flag, through, through tons of different ways. It's so interesting. This is the question that gets so complicated of the zehut in our door. A beautiful thing happened Thursday night. I was telling the and Shabbos that uh, Bina and I went to a concert of and not, It's not a concert. It's a. It's a. Um, what did I call it on Shabbos? it's like a soul workshop okay? if you've ever gone to one of his concerts it's not a concert it's literally you say, I was sitting next to a rav that was there with his family and the whole time through every, every song he was doing deep breathing opening his hands and at every, every few songs he was just start shuckling going like this and davening and it was a beautiful thing saying this is like a mechabadik a rav that was doing this and um, what was so beautiful is that there were mamash Haredi-looking rabbis there, cheva that definitely you, it would be a shayla to eat in their home, kashrus. And then you had all these different chayalim walking in, and what was so amazing is that some of them were walking in with, without a kippah, but were wearing tzitzas. <laughs> That's happening a lot. They're, they came in wearing tzitzas, and they weren't wearing a kippah. So you say, okay, Again, the question of zehut, the question of identity. So, so who, who are they? Who are these you know, well, well, masa, this, not, this, To the best of my knowledge, this never really happened before. This kind of, like, this kind of showing of an identity. It's because it's so, it's so complex. It's so complicated. It's such a deep inyan to figure this out. And that's because it's not a question of looks. It's a question of soul. It just—it's a question of soul. It's a question of the neshama. It's the question of things that you can't see. Sometimes you have—you know—you have chaver you know, you that that they look so not in the same parsha as you. But when you start speaking to them, and your eyes engage with their eyes, and you start connecting on the neshama level, you realize this person's holding much, much higher than than, than I could ever hold. So the question is: so What do I strive for? Do I strive to? St- strip away from myself any external identity because look where they're holding. And there's a voice that says that, like I want to strip myself away of any external identity because all it does it just, it just, it doesn't represent who I really am. And I have a, I have a, a few friends that, they finished shas. They, they stopped wearing a kippah a few years ago because for them, you know they stopped wearing a kippah. <laughs> wearing a kippah sounds harsh, though. It's very hard, it's complex that's the word, zemul kav it's complicated. And it's definitely. Anything, it's not. I'm not condoning. I'm not pushing for any. I'm just explaining a mitziyut that we're in in our generation. Where is this coming from? Where is this coming from? By the way, sorry, Masltov and your sister got engaged last night. Big news. Hashem. Big, big simcha. Hashem. Okay. Go to the bottom of Kuf Chavav. There are pages up there for whoever needs. Right? Can you pass some of those down this way also? Beg samcha, Baruch Hashem. Okay. You see the bottom paragraph. He says over here, This is a very complex matter, this concept of identity. And it demands of us a very deep fixing, a sifting through the shoresh of the inyan, which demands of us a really big learning, Maze am Israel, am Israel, all things that we think we know already, but we have to look at it from a deeper place. All these questions, what what this actually means. Now skip to the next page on Kuf Kavzain. That's where we ended off last time. And on Kuf Kavzain we start to go in again learning basics. You know, there's a very important um there's a very important yesod, the foundation when it comes to learning. And when it comes to learning, we always have to be humble. Bechla in life, you have to be humble. Humility is a be- wanted, very beautiful and important thing. Why is it so important when it comes to learning to be humble? What do you think? Why, would, why, would humi- why is humility essential when it comes to learning? Why would you think? It's a very important Nikudah. You can't receive anything new no, if you're full of yourself. Or... If you're full of, of what? Of understand, you you know of you think you know everything still matters. So I can learn something, but because I learned it before, I'm showing up with my with my previous faculties of comprehension to learn something that's in front of me. That's not humble learning. Humble learning is I'm learning something, and yes, I've heard it before, but I'm coming and I'm learning it for the first time. Listen, if if we didn't, if humility wasn't essential in learning Torah, why would we go to shul every Shabbos and listen to the same parish as we've learned our whole lives? <laughs> it's got to be something. There's got to be this. Like, don't worry. You won't forget everything if you just put it on the side when you approach the text for the second time or third time or fourth time. You won't forget it all. But you'll just be open, like yesterday is saying, you'll be open to something new that's coming down. Humility is also essential when it comes to relationships between friends because if I already think that I know the person that's in front of me and I already am giving a, a subconscious perush to the words that they're saying before they even say it, then there's no one standing in front of me than a previous image of what I already framed it to be. Can't be. So humility also when it comes to between people, very important. But when it comes to learning, especially parshas, that we think we know the story already. Look, we all know. I mean, everyone say the say the ten makos. You could you could probably say the ten makot verbatim by heart from the time that you're probably in Kita Aleph, right? Probably first grade. Maybe even before. I don't know when when they learn, right? Whether we like to admit it or not, we still have a version of the ten makot, the ten plagues, on a Kita Aleph level somewhere deep in our subconscious. Every time we approach the parsha, it's it, 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 it a little bit goes through that. Uh, the, the, the example I always used to give was, um, at least visually, for many of us, the imagery that I have of a lot of the stories, especially in Bereshit and Shmot, where it's so many stories, is an imagery that really goes through this filter system of how I first felt learning the story based on the Little major says and the illustrations in that book. If, anyone, if any of you grew up with that, you know what I'm talking about. That's great. That gave it to me when I was five, six, seven. It's beautiful. But it's okay to also be open to the notion that there, there may be a new illustration that wants to be formed in your mind and in your heart and your soul. Just show up humble. Show up as if you don't know It's so why am I saying this over here? Because if there's definitely one scene in the Torah that we would all choose collectively to want to go back to, it's definitely what we just learned this past Shabbos. Aseret Dibrot, standing on Mount Sinai, hearing God's voice. And if I ask each of you, what's the first thing that God told us? We would all say, God said, I am God, your God. That took, you out of, uh, er, that took you out of slavery, that took you out of Eretz trying. And that's true. Those are the words. But what happens with Torahs like this, with rabbis like this, with teachings like this, we realize maybe we, didn't, maybe we missed out on one word in that, in that Pasuk that really explains to us what God was actually telling us. So if we humble ourselves, we're like, okay, so what is that one word that for 20, 40, 50 years I didn't pay attention to? And here he's going to spotlight it. His mamish putting the spotlight on it. So look at this. What we need to do in order to understand the deeper essence of freedom and its different stages when it came to leaving Egypt and going out into freedom. We have to go back again To understand the enslavement of Egypt and the scene of the burning bush. So we know God appeared to Moshe Rabbeinu from a a burning bush. This vision, so what's the like the the place that we're all starting our race? I don't know what that line is called whatever it is that line where you you know you're you're kneeling down and you're on one knee and then you're about to you hear the, the it's a gunshot right when you start a race much because you see the gunshot boom what's our what's our spot it's called it's the, it's the burning bush and what happens over there but this was the beginning of Geula. go for it we have to understand what is the meaning of this vision and why did God have to reveal Himself to Moshe Rabbeinu Dafka in this way? And from here, the commandment to come to Paro and to begin the motion of Am getting out of Egypt. Now here's where here's where it gets so beautiful. One must know Merchav shekulo avdut. Egypt was a house of slavery. A house of slavery is a merchav shekulo avdut. Merchav is an interesting word over here. How would some of you translate the word merchav? Yeah, probably best to say here is space. It's a space that was filled with slavery. We have to understand. We're speaking about a very deep, very very deep level, an inside level of slavery. shel Sohar. This imagery of a jail, as a place that had like high high walls that you couldn't get out of, that's not what Egypt was. There weren't any walls. We were the greatest slaves in the world, but there were no walls. It wasn't like, I don't know, think of a movie that, or if God forbid you spend some time in the slammer for whatever reason, which we won't go into now, it's not, we're not speaking about, you know, that kind of a jail, right? Did you ever see, um. what was that movie, a long, long movie, Shawshank Redemption? Yeah, yeah, it, there's a there few scenes there where he's like looking out and realizing he can't see anything past that wall. Like there's nothing you could there's no vision, there's no vision to him. There's no vision beyond it. That's not Mitzrayim. That wasn't Egypt. Whatever you have we have in our minds, the bikhlal loyaka kha. When prisoners are inside a jail and they want to escape, even though the walls are, seems like they're reaching the, hot, the sky, that's not Beit Avadim. Okay, so what's going on over here? What word is Rav Sasson telling us to re-examine from the Aseret Adibrot, the first thing that God tells us? I'm going to read for you the pasuk the way that in our minds, it usually translates, and you'll, <laughs> you'll tell me where, it got, where it's different. Anochi Hashem Adokecha, asher Yotetich Meret Mitzrayim Me'avdut. That's not how the Pasuk ends, right? How does the Pasuk end? Anochi Hashem onokecha asher yutziti chameh Mitzrayim mi Beit Avadim Avdut versus Beit Avadim Rav is saying the first thing God tells us demands of us to look at this concept called Beit Avadim as opposed to Avdut and Then there's a big difference between the two Slavery, the way that we usually mean, think of it is that there's an Egyptian over me with a whip. You know what? I used to think like that as well. That's not it either. Beit Avadim is something else. A house of Avdut. A house of Avadim. A house of slavery is different than just slavery. And he's going to explain what the difference is, and we'll understand what we're searching for when we understand, when we we're able to differentiate between the two things. Zelob Beit Chemeyatse Avdut. Beit Avadim is not a house that produces the art of slavery. Beit Avadim ההפך. החומות רוצים להימלט. בית is a house that produces enslaved souls, not enslaved bodies. Do you understand the difference between the two? That's a beit Avadim. It's a house that produces the production that took place in this place. Was we are producing human beings with the even though <laughs> in the real DNA it's impossible, but with however I understand life, whatever I view as important, not important, it's all with this with this consciousness of I'm born into a this is my world. I'm avdut. Beit Avadim is a house that produces people that live in a mental space. Of This is what it is. This is what it is. Bait of Adim. This is going to be like a five year old thing again, like you said. about reminds me of the story of Miriam going to and, and her father. Like, i saying, like, we're not going to have any kids. And Miriam saying, like, just not, like, it's the boy's desert issue. Not uh, but, not any kids. You're worse than her by saying you're not having any kids. Right. That's the mindset of, like, being in the city, right? of, of Amram, right. of the father, right. Right. And then he smacks her. Like man says, so, Yeah. I just had a kid. Right, right, then it's a whole story there, it's mm-hmm. in the Gemara, no, it's, it's not, this is the Gemara, in the says, it says this whole story over. So that's, that's a um, a, it? a hundred percent. And that, that's how they, he didn't even think he was doing anything wrong. No one thought they were doing anything wrong. That was just the norm. It wasn't anything out of the normal. That's just who they were. Just like people today, with the, with the vision they have for Eretz Yisrael, no one thinks they're doing anything wrong. On the, on the contrary, they think they're doing everything right and they're stretching their minds to find the best type of deal and and uh, um, compromise in the name of, of, of light and justice, but it's all through the mindset of a slave. Because it's a Beit Avadim. Okay. So again, the top line, Beit Avadim, Bamuvan Ha'amok... It's a place where you actually love this. This is, it makes you happy. You're actually under the assumption that you're a king and you're not an avid. And what you're also able to basically produce is some kind of an ideology that justifies this type of slavery, but you describe it as, "Look what I could do! I, I could, I, I have Hofish and I have chirut," which changes a lot of the imagery of what we think we were going through in Eretz Mitzrayim. right? Because, as far as I know, most of us f- grew up with the understanding that who we were in Mitzrayim. Every day I woke up and I was like, I, I, I hate this, I hate this. Maybe it was like that the first few weeks. But after a while, it wasn't like that at all. It became a Beit Avadim and not just a Beit Kele. Anu Zot Be'kach. And how do we see this? So that was a little bit of Parshat Yitro. Now we're going to connect it to the next Parsha, Parshat Mishpatim. Anu Zot Be'kach. She'lefamim hayu kolot ba'am Yisrael bamidbar. She'bikshu If Egypt really was like they explained to us in kindergarten, and the way we tried to exaggerate it and during uh, Leo Seder, how could it be that anyone would have cried to go back to that, which we see throughout our time in the desert? We keep on kvetching to go back to that. If, if it was really slavery, like we generally understand it, no one would ever, as bad as things are, no one would ever choose to go back to that. B'te'ana shaya sham tov, with the claim saying it was good there. So he says something so beautiful. What's the first thing we learn about after the parasha of Matan Torah? This parasha. And what's the first thing you learn about? We start learning again about avadim, avdut. Why? That same servant that says, I love my master. I love, I love exactly what I have right now. I don't want to have freedom. So the title says, Go and take his ear, right? And pierce his ear. What does that mean? Because it says that the same ear that heard... I took you out of this, and now you're saying you still want to stay in some kind of format of slavery, that same ear has to be reminded of what it heard just a few minutes ago on Mount Sinai. What must be whispered again into his ear and shaking his neshama has to be again, your ear just heard that God took you out of slavery for an eternal state of being free. Why are you going back away again, you Eved Ivri, and saying, no, I don't want to be free, I don't want to be free, it's good for me here. Because it got into us so deeply, this, this consciousness, this mentality of Beit Avadim. Look at 1967. It's exactly the same thing. We come back, we have no idea what to do with this freedom. It freaks us out to the highest core. The first thing we do with the holiest place that we've ever had and ever will have, is we basically say, I want to be, in 1967, take the keys. I want to be a slave. I want to be, I, I'm not, I'm still in Beit Avadim. I still don't know what it means to be a master. So, Mamash, that's what happened. What happened? Where we gave the keys, we got, we came here, we had access to Harabait, and the second we got it, what did we do with it? We gave it to the Jordanians. We just won the most miraculous war our world has ever seen. And at that moment, wh- what it was really all about was, of course, that holy site. Dafka, that place which is the symbol of freedom, not just for the Jewish people, but for all mankind Kibeti, Be. I Dafka took that, and like the Evedivi, I'm saying here, take it. I, I, I can't handle it. But that's been, And that's why it's so important to remember that the point of the giving of the Torah is to let you be okay with that. And Hashem is saying, this was my plan from the beginning. I don't expect you to feel so comfortable over here. I don't expect you to understand and feel like you know exactly what's going on and everything is known. But that is the point of being engaged in a world of Torah. That's the relationship with God. Mechanism to For sure. Shells, you know, we're good. At, we're good with this. Because, we, we've been Enslaved so many times since Matan Torah. I'm sorry. The Jewish people, through history, have been enslaved so many times since Matan Torah. Never like Egypt. That's what the Chazal always tell us. It was never. It was never a slavery of Beit Avadim like it was in Mitzrayim. However, we, we, what, what does connect to what you're saying is that the remnants of that. The echoes of anti har are always there. Always there. Emotionally, we can there our whole life. I'm sorry? Emotionally and mentally, we can stay here our whole life. Like so, some of... people do, yeah. Some people do. Ge'ula, calling for the Ge'ula, is, is, is this graduation from this place. And it's not supposed to feel so unknown. It's not supposed to feel so like I, I recognize all of this. It's much deeper than that. I'm just so sorry. Maybe I'm telling you, I think I have I have to get checked. I just can't I can't hear so much. If you if you could just talk everyone everyone in the in that in that big if you could just talk a little bit louder. Yeah, at Harsina, we see that the Jewish people, even there, they couldn't handle it. Like Hashem tried to speak to them. He wanted full revelation and it didn't seem like we had
1: he Right. And they were like, Stop. Right. And this is yeah.
0: like the whole story like, he was saying it over and over and over again. Like we just collectively as a as one soul trying to move the final where we actually can hold it that's why I, I, if someone had to ask me what's the mission statement of a Sunday morning class what would it be based on what you just said building vessels to build vessels exactly <laughs> building vessels to be able to do that which perhaps I'm least comfortable with yet I know it's the truth and that's really geula that's geula yeah what could be more important than that you, you know what could be more important than what we just said right now? Tell I me mean, if anyone has any ideas I'd, I'd be open to hearing it would be, be our Sunday more starting off the week, much more simple, <laughs> much less complicated. but if anyone could tell me what's more important than that, then we'll start learning it. I just don't know. That we are worthy. We, have, <coughs> we have so many consciousness that we're not worthy to receive the kuv. It's part of the same mishpacha of the building of the vessels of emuna in it. Nahon, Third <that's> <Underground> paragraph <angel> on kuv chavchet. Hadavar she'en There is no such thing as a Jewish person having freedom without the truth of the Torah. Even a place of complete slavery, it could be transformed and illustrated as a place of freedom and happiness. It's only the truth of Torah that basically unshackles us from the shackles of slavery in all of its garments, and all of its forms, and that is what frees a person's real spirit to a place called chayrut olam, eternal, worldly Imken, If that's the case, the fourth paragraph, if that's the case, בית העבדים של מצרים, So this place called the House of Slavery of Egypt, it controlled the depth of people's neshamas and their grasping of what life is all about. And it caused each person to love their slavery and to be happy with it. And to be under the impression That it doesn't get any better than this. Going on a tangent right now, but it's it's a short one, and it's of course has to do with right now. Who? There's a lot of hostage talk right now, right? Who is Am being held hostage by right now? United States of America. There's not. It's not a political statement. Do you understand? We're being held hostage, but what in our mind is the greatest form of freedom? Also. Our friendship and relationship with the United States of America our greatest we speak about this all the time our greatest ally our supplier of this the only friend we have (laughs) and all these things they're also the entity that is holding the people of Israel hostage do you see that doesn't I mean you could Malka, I'm sure you, you, you don't agree with me. I agree. With you. <laughs> I know, I'm kidding. Of course you do. It's a loyuman. But however, in our terminology of what makes us, the Jewish people, so um, enlightened and on the top and like the strong ones and part of the good guys is that our greatest ally is the United States of America. That's what's drilled into the mindset of the people of Israel. Hopefully not the Am, but anyone that is kilo on top of Am Israel. Is there a greater avdut? I think it's more just like if we if we don't have them, then we have nobody. Mm, right. We're not in a comfortable place anymore. We're not in a, a comfortable place anymore. Correct. We're not in a. Comfortable place so not in more, a listen, Israel is Israel. Like we only have a certain amount of everything. Like it is what it is. But that's exactly that's the, base of the same thing. thing. It's like if we're out in the middle of the desert, we don't have Egypt, we have nobody. So maybe we've leveled up you the have to be a, a little realistic. I'm, I'm just
1: talking about the now. That's <laughs> okay.
0: It's okay. It's good you're bringing this up. This is the point of the shear. It's very good. It we seems on the surface... $17 billion. Like, it's real. What happens if you sell your soul for $17 billion? Is $1 worth it? If you sell your soul, is one dollar worth it? You yeah, first have to... I think it's easier said than done. Of course. So is giving birth. And know, everything is, meaning anything new that's... Everything is easy, easier said than done. Everything. The point in this year is giving vessels for us to understand that the things that are easier said than done are the things that actually have to be done. All the things that aren't as easy, that are not easier said than done, we do. And it, it keeps us in a very... Very very tight place. We didn't get to where we, God didn't bring us to Mount Sinai to to think in terms of uh, of realistic, yeah. Namash, God did not bring God didn't bring us back to Eretz Yisrael for two thousand years to just think in terms of. Listen, you're going to have to be a slave to another country who, in the bigger picture, are doing good things for you. But even if they sell your soul and prevent you from actually wiping out Amalek, who you have to. Don't worry, in the bigger picture, there's something... That's not why we came back here. That's, that's the story of other nations that need allies on those types of levels. On the other hand, it doesn't mean that we, God forbid, should be ungrateful for any of the good that America was privileged to give us. Privileged. A slave thinks we were privileged to receive something good. A ben melech who we, Benot Melech, understand that if someone does good for the children of the king, they were privileged. That's the shift of consciousness. It's okay, Leah. Most of us are halfway there, you know. Huh? Yeah, yeah, no, no, but don't, I'm saying, this is it's so good you're bringing it up. This is the, this is the inside. This is the, this is the soul talk that's needed today. Like, there's, we're looking at the situation that's in front of us. It, in, in, in 1967, we had nobody, and we finished a much more crazier war in six days. Here, we've been stuck for four months because we're still in Beit Avadim when it comes to how Amisrael conducts itself as a people. And that's very harsh, that's very intense. But it just means there should be more of a demand of Blitz build the vessels as a people to really believe that when someone helps Am Yisrael, it's a skhus for them. It's not a skhus for us. It's their privilege, not ours. So what you're saying is we have to jump into the consciousness of that when we al and not like uh, um, everybody else. And really believing that. We never were, we never will be. Exactly. And as long as we try to be that, we'll still be in Beit Avadim hundred percent. Yeah. I'm yeah. just struggling with... Hashem gave us the chara. He, he obviously knew we were in this mindset. He was telling us whenever we have a battle like this, we're, we're always going to be struggling with this. Say so, so you, so your question a bit, a bit clearer, if you don't mind. Because I want to understand the heart of what you're saying. Why, why did Hashem choose to give us the chara when we were obviously in this mindset of being in great him? He knew... a lesson that we were continuously going to be dealing with this? It's a challenge. How would you say that question in like a... Share with us like a bodus and say it like really raw. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Say it like really... Uh, not, I mean, as unfiltered as you're comfortable in a setting of uh, people. You understand what I'm saying? Like, what's the question? What's, talk to Hashem, Say it to Hashem. What is the question right now? Why does it have to be so hard? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> that is the question, and everyone shares that. Unless someone here is like, "This has been a smooth sailing trip." because and that really is the question. <coughs> Why does it have to be so hard? If you knew it was going to be so hard. And why did you give it to me in the first place? Maybe that's what you're saying, right? So, Be'ezrat Hashem, you're going to be an ima soon. And that question is going to be like taken to the, <laughs> to the highest level possible, right? Because you'll, you'll hear back because I love you and one day you'll understand. And when our parents told us that we were kids, we hated it. And they were right. And we say that to our children the same thing today. I love you, one day you'll understand, right? I love you, one day I understand. So the brat says, I'm never going to understand, I'm never going to try to understand. (laughs) But the the Ana of Chacham, I don't know, one that's connected a little bit to the Nisham, is like, I want to spend the rest of my life building vessels to understand how much my parents really loved me and wanted the best for me, so that I could pass that on to my children as well. But if if we don't get stuck with Karen's question at a certain point in our life, I think we're completely sleeping. Like, if we don't ever ask that, same saints why did you have to make it in such a way? I mean Maishu Rabbeinu is the one that asks that question first, at the end of Paishad Shemot, after the Giula <laughs> so to speak begins. Mayshru Rabbeinu, after the burning bush, after the, the start, he stops after like one kilometer, whatever it is, and he says, Ume'az bati el Paro, since I came to Paro to start the Giula process, you've made things worse for Eden. So Rabbi Nachman in the Kutei Maran, Rabbi Nachman has a life saving teaching, where he explains, I'm saying this in a nutshell. Rabbi Nachman says it always seems to the person that's actually trying to grow, that Hashem is hiding Himself more. Only, and when does when does it seem like Hashem is hiding Himself more? Only actually when I when I started to do more, when I started to get closer, when I attempted to get closer. And there are a lot of different types. Of, there are a lot of different ways of explaining that teaching. And Rabbi Torisky, Rabbi Avraham Torisky, of used to always say that it's the mashal of like a kid that's learning how to walk. And at first the parent stands the kid up, and then they're holding their hand while they're taking their first few steps. And then suddenly, he removes one hand, and the kid is like, "Oh my god!" And then, but they but still managing. And then the parent removes the other hand, and then the kid starts saying, "Why?" Did you get me up in the first place just to remove your hands and make it so much harder right now? And you keep on having that conversation and you lose your balance, but you take a step, you get up and then you walk again. And you keep on saying, why did you do this? Why are you, why are you how come you're not holding my hand? How can I? And before you know it, you look back and you just walk the whole thing on your own. And, you, and your parents smiling and you're smiling too saying, Ah, there would have never been any other way for me to feel like I can do anything unless at a certain point in life you removed your hands from me. The question is, do I stay down when I get down, when I'm go down? Or do I wobble? Do I, chew, whatever, do I get back up and keep on walking? That's the secret of life. Here it's just felt so much more intensely. Because we've had blows in our life as people where it makes it feel that Hashem completely moved His hands and He's not waiting there anymore like this. He checked out. Auschwitz, Maidanik, he went somewhere else. He went somewhere else. Some Torah this year. It feels like Hashem didn't just like take his hands away. It's that he took his hands away and then he went right and we stayed wherever we were. Or he went left, but he just wasn't in the same place. Those are the hard, those are the hardest moments to, to understand what we're supposed to be doing right now. And yet that's only when I think through the mind. What we have to—we're talking about building vessels for this in life. This is soul talk, and the question is: Do we believe that Am Yisrael is capable of of operating from this place? Do we believe that we're capable of looking at the reality of America with their billions of dollars and go teva and saying that's not really how things work here? When I'm talking about the Jewish soul, things that are on the surface, to be realistic, has nothing to do. The Jewish perspective of realism has nothing to do. With what you see in front of you. It's all about the soul. Now, in the next piece, which we're not going to go fully inside, but what Rav Sasson is saying to us is that you know who else was doubtful whether Jews, whether the Jewish people could actually operate from their soul? Moshe Rabbeinu. <laughs> Moshe Rabbeinu wasn't sure. When God told him, you're going to redeem these people, you see this back and forth between Hashem and Moshe Rabbeinu. Because Moshe Rabbeinu says, listen, I know this, Chavra. I, I, I was born in Egypt. I'm also in Beit Avadim. I know these people. I knew what my father sounded like, before my sister had the guts to say what she said, and that's giving a chance for me to be born. I know what these people are, these stiff-necked people. I know what they're like. I know that, <laughs> just just look at them, Hashem. That's what Moshe Rabbeinu is saying, just look at them. They're not going to get it. They're not going to get it. They don't, they don't have it in them. Look at them. Now what's the vision that Hashem shows by the burning bush? A burning bush. It wasn't a trick question. What is the burning bush? What does it say about the burning bush? What does that mean? What, look, let's go deeper. What does that actually mean? Showing us that what is... Okay, so what's the heart of the sneh? What is it likened to? The neshama. The neshama. And Hashem says, Moshe Rabbeinu, I, I bless you, I, I chose you to tend to the flock because I see how much you care and the Midrash says that, my, that Moshe Rabbeinu was a shepherd. Not the Midrash. The Torah tells us he was a shepherd, but the way the Midrash illustrates Moshe Rabbeinu being a shepherd, it says that he was so gentle with each piece of his flock that Hashem said this quality of being so tender... And delicate and gentle with each one of his flock. That's the characteristic traits of a leader, right? But now Hashem is telling my Rabbeinu, you got to graduate. To what level? To l- l- doing soul reading. You have to look at people and see their neshamas. And train them to start listening to their own neshamas. Because all the people that you see over here right now, inside this, and the Midrash says it was a thorny bush, it was a prickly bush. Then on the outside, everything about it was, 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 would, would cause pain. <coughs> Rav Soloveitchik writes a lot, um, extensively about this as well. Many greats write about that. It had to be Rav Herschel Shachter Rav Shishiva, and writes beautifully about this. The Sneh, the vision of the beginning of our Geula had to be through something that everything about its outside looked destructive and impossible to work with. Everything about its outside. And yet, everything about its inside was everything we could work with, and that's why the vision that Moshe Rabbeinu sees when he first comes in comes in touch with the Shleilam, is something that, in the inside, if you look at the inside and you listen to the inside, I took you. Uh, Hashem is saying that place could never be in slavery. America never has anything over the Jewish neshama, nor does any people. Those that are look, those that look like our friends and those that don't look like our friends. Because that place of the neshama is a chelek eloka mimal. Can you put God in imprisonment? Can you hijack God? God is eternal. God is boundless. The Rebona Shalei has nothing to do with the mitzis that can be jailed in this world. That is what we mean when we're talking about the neshama of the Jewish people. Not Biden, not Trump, not all these pawns. They're all pawns. All of them. They have nothing to do with the ability to enslave any piece of us that has to do with the inside. And that's what Hashem is telling Moshe Rabbeinu. Hashem is telling Moshe Rabbeinu, I know, you know these people. What do you know about them? You know how much they're in pain. You know all that. It's true. But I heard the cry. When they had a moment to breathe and to think, they started crying. Now, when did Am Yisrael have a moment to start thinking and breathing. What, is the Torah, Tov, what does the Torah tell us? When is the moment that Am Yisrael started thinking, which led them to start to breathe, which led them to start <laughs> crying? What happened the Pasuk before? It says that uh, we started crying to Hashem. It says that Paro died. There was an Egyptian slave master that had died. And then it says, at that moment, And then we started screaming. We started screaming the moment that we could breathe and start to think. A new Paro comes onto the scene, and what ends up happening? He realizes, if these people have any time to actually think and breathe and get connected to their neshamas, they'll realize they were never slaves in the first place, and they'll walk out of here Without a problem. So, therefore, m- what must I do? I must make the workload even harder. To give them less time to think, less time to be in touch with their neshamas. Tichbad dalaya avoda. Make it even harder. Look at the next page on kuflamid. We're jumping because there's there's a lot to cover, and I'm just giving you over in Rashe Prakim a lot of what he's saying over here. Daf kuflamid. Huh? The government is also pawns. still pawns. Still Betach. 100%. They're waiting for us to, they're waiting for the Am to listen to their own neshama. Yeah. If, if the not... If there, then they're going to the get there. I'm sorry? If the Am gets there, then they're going to get there. They won't even be there when the Am gets there. <laughs> <laughs> right. They if won't be there. <laughs> They'll be alive, gebenched. They'll, they'll retire in some kibbutz somewhere. I don't know, but it's not going to be. It's not who we see. <laughs> the Am is actually going to elect Mashiach. You know, there's actually going to be a thing like this that the Am is going to actually elect Mashiach. Like the Am will choose Geula. The Am won't continue choosing people she'en tshua. Al It'll be a different thing. So look what happens on the, daf, on the, ha, on the top of Kuflamid. Just a few more minutes. Do you have Kuflamid? No. There should be in other pages here. I, I, some of them have the whole thing. Some of them don't. Kuflamid. Very important to see this inside. The top of Kuflamid. Look at this. This is, this is unbelievable. And I, I just want to say that today's Paro... I want you, after we read the next paragraph, to give a name for today's Paro, the function of what Paro does, okay? Look at this. <laughs> paro sees the greatest danger is when the soul begins to shine amongst his slaves. <laughs> Even Paro understands... I can't, I can't cause the neshama to give up, and I can't change its nature. So therefore he asked for something. Let me cause the people to not have time to think. Some time to just be alone with themselves, and to hear the inner voice. That's why he says, The workload got greater. Without a second to think. Without a second, well, they'll be a little bit enticed to listen to something else other than the workload that's in front of them creating a situation that, because we won't have any time and we'll be completely consumed and bothered by so many different things and distractions that I won't lick, listen to my heart inside and I won't hear my soul screaming. What's another name for Paro today? Our cell phones. There's so many layers to it. But the main main one today, without a shadow of doubt, and you see this when you walk, when you drive in the morning and you take your kids to school and you pass by bus stops and you see seven-year-old kids not looking at each other but looking at screens. there's no one they're growing up without any notion of that part of the part, the greatest thing about life is having time for yourself and listening to yourself and recognizing the language of your soul. This is the world that we're in right now. This is paro of today. Who, has, who stops to think about anything? But on the flip side, that's why Shabbos becomes so much holier today. Because what we have today on Shabbos is felt so much deeper today than it ever was because of the contrast to what's going on during the week. It's like back and forth. It's so, it's so crazy such a shift of emotions but what he's saying over here is that if we actually set time aside to think and to be with ourselves and not be distracted by in- see back then it was a matter of work it's like i'm going to put more workload on you right today the workload is i got to check this i got to check this i have to find out what that person ate or i have to find out when that person <coughs> what song that person played last night at the concert i have to, all these things this is what my mind is telling me what ends up happening is that what I don't find out is: Can you hear the soul of my own crying? Can you hear the soul of your own your own crying of your soul? Because if you do, that's geula. Doesn't mean you're out already, but it means you're living with more with a recipe that can can hear your own what you really want. That place can never be changed. It can be covered. Whew, boy, like you were saying, it's true. Layer after layer after layer. It can be covered, but even Paro knows it can't be destroyed. So if I can't, something can't be destroyed, what should I do? I'll, I'll cover it up, I'll distract it. I'll cover it up. Layer after layer, distraction after distraction. And hopefully like that, they won't listen to their own souls, and therefore they won't begin this process of crying out again and starting the Geula process. I think that one of the greatest struggles since October 7th has been that there would be... There, there, I think that we realized we couldn't not listen to the own cry of our neshama after October 7th, at least in the beginning. And to a certain extent also now. So Of course something shifted. Like There's no way that we could on any way, shape, or form still continue to conduct our day-to-day lives exactly the same like we did before it happened. So what it did cause is a crack into the general neshama saying, are you looking are you, are you, do you have time with yourself? Now, one of the one of the scary things is, is there are many people that I've spoken to in the last few months, Bidavka choose not to have time with themselves right now because they're petrified as to what will happen if they actually allow themselves to have a lot of the images or even the thoughts that they have about what happened sink in. So I don't think that you're supposed to go and say, no, you have to look at every single piece of footage so there's a voice that I, you know, I def- that does resonate with me because I think that until we really realize what kind of evil, demonic, twisted monsters are dealing we're dealing with that live right over here as well behind us. There's no difference between one of them to anyone from Aza. They are all the same, and anyone that says otherwise is threatening the existence of our families. If anyone thinks otherwise, and Baruch Hashem we're re- we're we're awakening from that coma. It's a hard awakening. It's, it's a slow awakening. It's very painful because even when I say such words, the peaceful peace- place in us says, "Don't talk like that. Don't make such generalizations. Just trying to stay alive. Mm. Let me stay alive, and then I'll, come, and I'll then we'll figure out afterwards who could be here and who can't be here. I'm first going to stay alive." There's this. I don't want to be with myself right now, and I understand that because it's so it's so crazy. But if Hashem is Hashem. And not just my own avodah zara of Hashem. That means that Hashem is there also in that place of utmost Chorban, and destruction. And I go back to Karen's question really, and I say, even in that place, Rivanosh alam Of course, you want me to ask, where were you? How could you not? Only a robot wouldn't ask such a question. But if only a free person can ask that question. The question is, how do I ask that question? A free person doesn't just say where were you, with anger. The free person asks that question by saying, "What? How could your name become greater from this rebbeinu And Why would you do this to yourself?" That's a that's That's, that's Moshe <coughs> question after Egal Azav when he says Har Eini Show me how your cover gets bigger from such a thing. That's Rabbi Nachman's main shayla of Ayeh, famous teaching and in, written Likutei Mal'achan. Ayeh mekon Kvodah. I just want to know where your covet gets bigger from all of this. A slave doesn't ask any of these questions because they, for them, the unknown is, even if it has the greatest treasures on the other side over there, is just less enticing than the known, as painful as it is. So I'd rather just continue to be enslaved by America because the unknown seems so much more petrifying being surrounded by all these animals here. But it still won't bring us to the place that we need to be, which is called Geula, which has nothing to do with Teva, the way we know it. It doesn't have anything to do with nature the way we know it. Nothing. So Rav Sasson is saying the way that we came out of Egypt, the way that we came out of Egypt, the the process that happened is the same thing right now. It's just instead of Paro making harder and larger workloads on us to distract us from listening to our neshama, we just have other t- forms of distractions and workloads and layers that prevent me from listening to my own neshama, thus causing me eventually to even start to second-guess what the calling of my neshama is. And that's why the language now, what we have to come to terms with, is that we need to live, we need to create a society of people that are talking to each other in neshama talk, that are talking soul talk to each other, so that we get accustomed to that type of way of thinking and listening to words like i'm so happy that most people here stopped asking me how how i'm doing about 2 months ago because everyone's asking how are you doing but no one's no one's really saying you know i got about half an hour right now i want to hear how you're doing no one's saying that when they say how you're doing right so here like at least one the I, I don't know how it's like with the with the women but by the by the men there's been so much more since from before of saying yeah, I'm not going to, how you doing? How you holding up? Because I don't hear that. It's, it's more like, <laughs> let's set time to sit and learn and talk and, and get to the roots of it, and we've had some men's evenings, that's why I want to continue to encourage you like I was encouraging you on Thursday to create those vessels, to create that time so that soul talk becomes much more of the norm. Because that is what the Neshama really, really wants in this world. And that place can never be enslaved. There's no concept of enslaving God. There's no such thing. You can't enslave God. When we're talking about our souls, we're talking about the that lives within us. This piece of Hashem that lives within us. That can't be taken into captivity. It's impossible. Paro knew this, so all he tried to do was make us ignore it. And today there's all these other forms of trying to make us ignore that which was never in prison and that which will actually take, us, take any faculties, take any layers of us out of Mitzrayim as well. If there was ever a time where it seems like it was that crucial to live like this and that difficult, it's now. Because let's face it, like like we said, we're petrified to be alone with ourselves right now. What will happen about our real state of believing in Hashem if I actually start thinking about things? God's big enough to handle moments of kfira too. Don't quote me on that. (laughs) You understand? If God is God, which He is, she is, it is, (laughs) <laughs> that means that like, whenever someone t- like, I'll tell you whenever someone tells me I tried doing these bodhidut but the problem is I don't believe in any of it I'm not even sure I believe in God and I'm always astonished and like wow you're so lucky and they say why are you so lucky because you have the most incredible hidh bodhidut material to start your session with tell that to God but I don't believe in great tell him I'm so angry at him what do you think he's Barurus is for? Standing around and saying, I put on tzitzes today, thank you from... Uh, what are you, crazy? That's, that's really today in 2024? That's what his Barurus is meant for? No. That's the zakat ha-neshama. And that's the next shlav of understanding, building vessels for living a life of geula, is that we could look at each other soul-wise. We could hear the real cry of each other's neshamas. That's the most beautiful thing in the world. Just to go back to what you said before, Leah, because it really struck a chord in me. On the outside, if I hear what you said about being realistic when it comes to the $17 billion, I have to answer you from the outside, explaining to you logically how it's okay to give up on those $17 billion. There's only one problem. It doesn't add up logically to give up on $17 billion of military aid. On a soul level... It doesn't add up for one second to allow Amalek to still live within Amisra. So I have to find a way <coughs> to not be at all uh, like shocked that you said what or were confused, shocked. Or I have to really realize that what you're in the what your is really saying, like, show me a way that I could actually think about this very complicated situation. where it it defies logic and I actually feel okay with it. That's what it is. But instead we get caught up in what people are saying on the outside and then more friction happens. Realize, every time someone says something, the words do not necessarily reflect, they generally don't reflect what the neshama is crying for, what the neshama is screaming for. And that's the world of azamra, that's Rabbi Nachman's azamra, that's like, there's just so much that opens up for us when we take the opportunity to start engaging in soul relationships and soul talk. And here he's going to hopefully begin to teach us, in his way, based on mainly on Rav Cook, how do you talk that language? How do you learn that language? And what does it sound like? But be clear, once you have that language, there's no Egyptian. No one exists. There's no one over you. Nothing. And you're totally free, and it doesn't scare the daylights out of you either which is like the greatest gift, when that freedom doesn't scare you, when the unknown doesn't scare you, but it's like, you know, Hashem, you're with me here, how scary could it actually be? So we'll actually end up believing in God by the end of this year, too, Just like the greatest thing. Okay, Shavua Tov Mashiach, now.